So Money Episode 32, Michael Parrish Dudell. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, you're listening to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Welcome. You know, one of my favorite shows on TV has got to be Shark Tank. It's one of the four or five shows that I actually DVR. I'd say that along with Girls... Uh, Downton Abbey, Modern Family, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Okay, so maybe more than four or five. So why are we talking about Shark Tank? Because I have with us today on the show, Michael Parrish Dudell, who is the best-selling author of the show's official book, Shark Tank Jumpstart Your Business. It's a book that teaches how to successfully launch and grow a business from concept to cash, and it interviews all of the sharks on Shark Tank, from Barbara Corcoran to Mark Cuban. Michael is here with us today. He is a recognized millennial expert and business pundit who's been featured in numerous media outlets, including CNBC, Bloomberg, CNN, The New York Times, Yahoo, Forbes, all over the place. Now, Michael is also a consultant. He has worked with an array of global organizations, including American Express, Kraft, Ogilvy, Visa, Disney. The list goes on. Three takeaways from my interview with Michael. How to keep overhead low so that you can build a more financially sound business. How do you actually do that? The keys to Michael's credit score, which is almost perfect. It's 798. And not letting your imperfect background keep you from being a successful entrepreneur. We all have imperfections. I think that's what makes us special and great. And Michael talks about how to actually leverage those imperfections to build a a successful business. Here is Michael Parrish Dudell. Michael Parrish Dudell, welcome to So Money. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. I've been an admirer of your work. You know, you're um, you do so much, and I think um, in the world of media that we are both in, it's really a hustle. And uh, because honestly, there's so many fun things you can be doing. You can write books, you can give speeches, you can be on TV, you can um, do a podcast. And you are exemplary in that you have a lot of um, different projects and and you're doing such great work, particularly aimed at millennials, which is also my kind of um, my, my, you know, my sweet spot in in many ways. Uh, Most notably, last year, you published what is still a phenomenal book that is flying off the shelves, Shark Tank, Jumpstart Your Business, How to Launch and Grow a Business from Concept to Cash. You know, we all know Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. I've, I've interviewed Barbara Corcoran. I've interviewed um, uh, several of, of the panelists in my past. Um, people don't know you, though. And you were picked <laughs> to write. The, I, mean, I mean that, you know, in, in terms of like relative to Barbara Corcoran, of rel- you're not you're not a judge, you're not a, no. an investor on Shark Tank. That's what I meant. Um, but uh, you were selected out of many, many you know hungry authors out there to write this book, and I'm so glad you did because um, you have an amazing voice. You know this market, and and so tell me a little bit about the experience and um, what it was like to meet the the sharks and who was your favorite. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So the Shark Tank book was an incredible experience to to be asked to write it, to get the chance to work with the sharks uh, and be a part of the show was was really just sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. And really, when they when they wanted to write a book, what they were trying to do is they realized that every week there were millions of people that tuned into the show and watched the entrepreneurs on television and said to themselves, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own company. But these people would go to the business section of the bookstore and they would look around and there are so many books out on how to start a company. They would sort of get overwhelmed and they wouldn't know where to turn. And so Shark Tank knew that their brand was really solid, that people trusted that name. And they wanted to write a book and create a book that was all about what it means to start a company from assessing yourself as a potential entrepreneur all the way through actually getting started, building the business, selling the business. And so it was really important for them that they worked with somebody who was sort of in the trenches because the sharks are amazing and they're incredibly accomplished and very wise, but they're investors now. And even though they run their own business, they're sort of in a different place as far as their day-to-day work. So they wanted someone who was still sort of in the trenches, building a business, sort of up and coming. And, um, and I was lucky enough to, to get that opportunity. Now, my favorite shark that's tough, I like each of them for different reasons. I will say that. I get that question a lot. I don't know if I have a a favorite favorite. I have a special spot in my heart for Barbara Corcoran because she came to the book launch and was very involved in helping promote the book. Um, And so she's just been very generous. And I've actually known Damon for a couple years. And so Damon and I, I really appreciate everything he's done. But each of the sharks bring to the table sort of their own um, specialty, which is what I think makes the show so successful. I bow to Barbara. I, I bow <laughs> to Barbara. She's so phenomenal. It's no wonder she's had um, incredible success in her career and in her life. And she's very gracious. And it's nice to know that when you see someone on television, that their quote unquote TV personality um, that you admire is similar to and, and very much like who they are in, in real life. You know. Yeah. It's great. And the thing that's really wonderful about Barbara, and I think actually most of the sharks share this, is even though they're successful, even though they're famous and they're well-known, they have not lost the hustle. And I think that is what makes a good entrepreneur. That's what makes a good intrapreneur, a good team member, a good employee. If you lose the hustle, mm-hmm. I think you've lost it all. And, and Barbara certainly has not lost the hustle. Exactly. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about your personal financial stories. Uh, this show is really about capturing my guests' uh, most intimate and, and uh, you know, candid uh, thoughts and ideas and philosophies and stories surrounding money as they know it. And I think um, you, I'm, I'm no doubt, have a lot to offer, and I'm curious to hear all that you have to say. So let's get to it. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... First question, Michael, what is your, and you might have many, but for the purposes of, uh, of timing in our show, what is one personal philosophy, financial philosophy, or money mantra that you hold near and dear to your heart, to your work, to how you manage your money that helps keep your finances in check? I will tell you, I have one secret which has kept me afloat all of these years, and it's to keep my overhead low. That is my that is my secret. I try to keep my overhead as low as possible so that I have the freedom to be as creative and work on projects that I want to work on, even if at the time they may not be the best financial choices, because that's what people don't understand. I mean, for, for people like us who are sort of in the media and who have businesses, we're actually running 
two different kinds of companies. Company one is a thought leadership company, which gets us front and center and gets us in in sort of mainstream, you know, media and out front and um, and you know notable. And then the other company is the company that actually makes money. And if you're doing it right, and that could be consulting or speaking or endorsements, if you're doing it right, both of those companies eventually merge and that's sort of when the brand is created. However, it takes a while for that to happen. And so as I've been building, sort of my secret has been just keep overhead as low as possible and maintain that freedom to do work that you really love and work that matters. I love that. And I think that should be your next book because I think, (laughs) no, I get a lot of people coming up to me um, uh, who ask, how did you get your start? You know, how did you become Farnoosh Tarabi? You know, and how did you become an expert in your field? And how did you, how did you get, you know, relationships with the media? How do you get your relationships with um, people who pay you? And, you know, and like you say, it's, it, and I never really thought of it this way, but it's absolutely true. It's a two- there's, it's like you've got two businesses, two shows running at the same time, and one pays and one doesn't, but both are supportive in their own ways. And it's hard because they're happening simultaneously. You have to figure out sometimes you got to make some hard trade-offs. Um, you know, I got to a point in my career where I was like, you know, I'm not going to do every single media opportunity that comes my way because I got to pay the bills and I have to prioritize with what pays first. Yep. Whereas maybe when I was in my younger, earlier 20s, I would have done anything for free because I just needed the exposure. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, that there really are two different types of companies that you're building. And it's all about balance. You have to figure out how am I going to balance these on a day-to-day basis because they both really matter. So what are some ex- specific examples of how you bootstrap and how you keep your overhead low? Mm, yeah, I work with a lot of freelancers. Um, I don't have an assistant. I would love to have an assistant. It would be fantastic. I need an assistant. Um, but again, you know, when I have a full-time assistant, I'm on the line for that person's salary. I'm on the line to be responsible for making sure that that person has some sort of stable work. And quite frankly, if there are months that I'd rather spend time building media projects that at the time don't make any money, I don't necessarily want to be on the line for that. Mm -hmm. The good thing about being able to consult and being able to work in that way is that I get to pick and choose the projects that I want to be involved with. And part of the reason why I love being an entrepreneur is because I love that ability. I can say no just as easily as I can say yes. And I don't ever want to lose that, at least not right now. And so I try to do things like work with freelancers. Um, I work, my, my office is from a co-working space. I do think it's important for people to have a separate space where they work. I think that is just good for the mind and good for productivity. So I do have an office, but it's from a co-working space called WeWork, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and just generally, my rent at my apartment is low. You know, when I started to make some money, um, of course, like everyone, the first thing I thought was, okay, I'm going to get a nice apartment and I'm going to get all these extra things and I'm going to upgrade my lifestyle. And, you know, my parents always taught me that, you know, you don't spend more than you make and that you think about money from a long-term perspective, right? You're building something, you're creating something. Don't just go out and make the first impulsive decision. And so when I started to make a little bit of money, the first thing I thought, I heard that voice in my head mm-hmm. and I said, you haven't earned it yet. I'll get there. You know, I'm 31 years old. I will get to a place where I can spend freely and I can, you know, pamper myself and I can go on lavish vacations. But that is something that you earn. 
And make no mistake about it, I'm not there yet. I'll be there, but I'm not there yet. And so everything that I do, I think of as an investment. I put it back into my account. I use it to fund the business. Um, I was talking to about a thousand high school students maybe three or four months ago, and I love speaking with high school students because they don't. Um, <laughs> they, they'll ask you anything. <laughs> they haven't <laughs> learned yet what's appropriate and what's not. And um, and I actually like that. I find it refreshing. And so. I was in front of the thousand the students and I asked if anyone had questions and someone said, what's your net worth as the first question? And I said, you know, it may not be. Are you be- serious? Wow. I swear. They I swear. There. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I'm not going to tell you. Um, I, but I said, it's, it may not be as much as you think. I said, listen, you really have to know, especially in my business, that if you're not taking the money that you're making and investing it back into the business, you're a crappy entrepreneur. Because at this stage in the game, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't need to be um, – I, I, I can spend my money however I want, which means if I need to save it and invest it back in the business, that's something that um, I think is a worthy investment. Yeah, you can be a little more risk tolerant when you don't have mouths to feed. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, I did, did this show last year called The Next Crop, which was ultimately sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting and Forbes was our partner. And I tried to sell the show to sponsors before it was shot. And every single sponsor said, it sounds really interesting. Why don't you shoot the show and then come to us and see if we're interested? And so I had to put the money up front to tape a television show, essentially. And if I didn't have that philosophy, I never would have been able to create the show and ultimately sell the show. Awesome. Well, speaking of going, you know, you've been coming, kind of telling us some previous experiences. The next question I want to ask is, a money memory. What is a money memory? It could be, uh, you know, when you were a kid, little Michael, or more recently. But the point is that this is a memory that really sticks out, that taught you a a, a real truth about how to be and manage uh, your money, be with money and manage your money. And um, take us there. Mm, that's a good question. So um, I guess the thing that first sort of jumps out. You know, I've always been somebody who loves to work. I'm, um, I've been, I've had a job since I was 14 legally, but before that, I had many jobs. Um, but even in high school, I would work all weekend long. I'd work after school. My parents would let me. Work has been something that is really, really important to me. And I come from, you know, a middle to upper class family, two educated parents. It was never work because if I didn't work, I didn't have, but just my personality. I just love to get in there and to work. And so I had so many different types of jobs. I was in restaurants for a long time. I did did just a wide variety of things. And when I was, I think, 16 years old, maybe 17, I convinced my parents to let me get a credit card, a credit card I still have to this day, by the way. Um, wow. And I, I know. And I, I put up a whole – my parents were, were good about if you can present it to us in a way that seems reasonable, like pretty much anything, if you can put up a good story and a good presentation, we might buy into it. So I put this whole sort of presentation together about why I should get a credit card. And I said, listen, it can only have a $500 a month spending limit. Like you can keep it really low, but it will help me develop credit. It will help me get responsible with money, and I'll still be in the house so you can control and you can look at where the spend is going. And I had a job, remember. So I was bringing in, I think I was waiting tables on the weekend. I would make like $120 a day. So maybe I was bringing in $250 a week. So if I'm bringing in $250 a week, that's $1,000 a month at age 16 or 17. A $500 credit card makes sense. So they agreed. And I got the credit card. And every single month (laughs) for the first six months, I maxed it out. Mm -hmm. Every single month. And that was a really 
important lesson. That was a really good lesson for me as far as credit um, to, to learn that even though you have it and even though it's convenient and even though maybe it won't bankrupt you, you don't always need to spend it. Mm-hmm. People have this misperception that, and I don't know how this got in, like filtered, infiltrated into our minds. It's that carrying a balance is good for your credit score. Have you heard this myth before? And, I have, and yeah. People, and I'm like, wow. And actually, I think I remember my father when I was younger saying something along those lines to me. And and, and then, you know, I, of course I grew up and, and learned it and I realized, no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this was a myth that was started by the banks, you know, like. <laughs> it makes to, sense. Yeah, to get consumers to carry balance and pay interest and, and all that other awful stuff. And um, you're absolutely right. Just because you have access doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I guess that's the moral of the story. Yeah. And I think it's important for young people. I mean, I would even say in high school, if you can, to get a credit card while you're still living you know, at home and to test it out. A really low limit, parental supervision, and see how you do. Yeah. Because not only does that give you sort of a test run, but it does start to build your credit from an early age. And because of that, I've actually been able to use, I think my, I was just looking at my credit score because my girlfriend and I are moving in together and we're like looking at all of our stuff. I think my credit score is like a 798. Wow. And the, Basically and the reason perfect. Why, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why that's a good credit score is not only I'm crazy about paying back everything when it's due, but because I've had credit for so many years. Yeah. Well, one thing I would just um, say, because I study this area a lot and, and credit um, literacy is a big part of my work. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, for what, you know, t- for better or for worse, 16-year-olds can't qualify for their own credit cards anymore. And no, mm. you have to be at least 21 unless unless you get a parent to co-sign or unless you can prove that you have income to support any potential balance that you're going to carry on this card. But to your point, you can still build credit at a at 16 if your parents have credit cards and, you know, you, obviously you need to talk to this to them about this and make sure that your parents aren't irresponsible with credit. They can add you as an authorized user onto one of their cards, which gives you your own card your, with your own name on it. They can actually you know, create a limit just for you so you don't have access to all of their credit. And through their activity and your own activity, you will start to establish credit for yourself and a credit profile at a young age. And I think a lot of banks will add people on as authorized users as as young as 16 or 18. So it's worth looking into if this is something long term, you're thinking, I want to start establishing credit and because maybe in your 20s you want to buy a home or you want to buy, uh, get a car loan or go to graduate school and, and qualify for a good private loan, um, although I don't recommend private loans, but federal loan. Uh, so it can be done. You just have to kind of you know work around the system these days. Yeah, and if you're running a business too, I feel like having great credit is so important because there are times in a business where you need to necess- you need to like float a certain amount of money. Yes. And let's say for me, I sell to businesses. So I don't really sell to consumers at all. And what that means is that I get paid usually large chunks of money very infrequently throughout the year. So instead of having cash constantly coming in, maybe I'm getting two checks in March, maybe I'm getting a check or two in May. Because of that, I have to float large amounts of money all year long. So credit's really important for me because a lot of times I'll get offers like, hey, 18 months, no interest for X amount of dollars. I'll use that. I'll float the money. I'll pay it back. There's no interest. It's like getting a free loan. 
Yes, and only do that if you are Michael Parrish. I know, I know. I didn't know I was going to say it because that's probably responsibly. Not. Like this isn't. We're not doing a whole uh, segment here on you know, how to how to manipulate the credit system or anything to like be, that. To be fair, I am not a personal finance expert. I am a small business expert. So that's it's a different perspective. Right, right, right. So we balance each other out well in this condo. <laughs> Financial fail. Let's talk about a time that you just really hit rock bottom or mm. did something that really um, messed you up for a little bit financially. Uh, what happened? What went wrong? And how did you recover? Oh, let's see. Long. Let's see if something that's messed me. I don't think anything is. To be to be honest with you, I don't think anything has messed me up in a very long term way. But I've definitely had uh, screw ups along the way. I remember in college. Um, the first time I ever had an overdraft fee. And again, you know, I was always working. And in college, I worked. I had four jobs in total in college. What were now, you not- doing? Can you tell me what those jobs were? Because I, at one point, had more work than I could handle. Yeah. So I was taking 18 to 20 credits every quarter, as yeah. well as working at, for three years, Blockbuster Video, uh, <laughs> a moment of silence for a fallen empire. Um, actually, I still remember... Um, when I used to have to answer the phones, it would they would ring and I would go, thank you for calling Blockbuster in Clifton where you never have to pay another late fee again. This is Michael. How can I help you? I still have that in my brain from all the times that I did that. Um, so I worked at Blockbuster on the weekends. I worked at two different box offices, at my school box office and at a box office for a theater called, oh gosh, I forget what it was. It was downtown Cincinnati. I went to school in Ohio. I worked there. Um, I worked at... Oh, gosh, what was that store? It's out of business now, too. This isn't a good thing. Maybe the places I work being out of business, maybe that says something. Don't hire um, Michael. That's don't funny. hire me. It was linens and things. I worked at linens oh, and things. Yeah. Um, and then I also would sing at a choir on Sundays. I made $50, which was like a big amount of money in college. Um, so I was I was constantly working, and I had supportive parents. Um, but still, I overdrafted on something. And I, I'll never forget how that felt when I went to the bank. It was so embarrassing, but it just felt like, I was in a real lurch and I had never been there financially where I didn't know like if I needed cash in that moment, I couldn't get it. And that to me was, I don't know, it felt stifling and something I didn't want to have to experience again. And I think maybe I've had like two or three overdrafts in my, in my whole life, but that's a feeling that, um, you know, you don't want. Yeah. And now fortunately banks cannot automatically sign you up for overdraft protection. They need your consent. So you, um, you know, when you open up a bank account, the default is that if there's no money in the bank account and you go to use your debit card, you get rejected, which I know is super embarrassing, but honestly, in the long run, it's probably good, especially for somebody who um, is not monitoring their, their, their bank statements and their cash flow uh, consistently. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you kind of need that wake-up call every few times if it happens. It's happened to me. It happened to me in college as well. I remember checking my bank account one morning and there were like, there was like $200 in overdraft fees because back then my financial advisor was the ATM receipt. And so yeah. I would get the ATM receipt and be like, oh, I have $300 left in my account. Well, you know, that's not real time. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. So I went on spending, 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 and always getting accepted, always getting approved. And then I had, you know, a deficit. But then I called the bank and they were able to to eliminate all of those fees for me because I was like, this is ridiculous. You should have called me. You should have alerted me. Like, how am I yeah. supposed to know? This is before we had, like, easy internet access or internet on our phones. So um, 
if this has happened to anyone on the on the call today, you know, do know that sometimes your bank is willing to work with you to um, erase those awful, awful fees, which at this point is like thirty five dollars per yeah. you know overdraft. So and it's the last thing you need when you don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, and in college, I know, I know. Yeah. All right, let's flip it and talk about something you're proud of, a so money moment, a time in your life when you had a financial win. Share it with us. Yeah. Um, so when I started my business back in 2000 and early 2012, you know, I have been a freelancer um, for a long time. I don't think I've had a W-2 since, I don't know, for the last 10 years. So I've always sort of been an entrepreneur, but it's been, it's, it hasn't been so structured. It hasn't been that I've owned a company and that, you know, I bring money into the company and I pay myself. And when I started this in 2012, the business that I have now, the consulting firm, I was terrified that I was not going to be able to make a sale because I hadn't ever sold, beside myself, I hadn't really sold anything before. I've always been on the other side of the job. So, you know, I did a bunch of editorial work and I've consulted, but they found me. I didn't find them. I've never been the person who was sort of on the line. And I remember when I was working for Seth Godin, it was about a year prior. Um, I'm, I can be sort of formal at times. I like process and I like order. And so, and <laughs> Seth is, is not necessarily formal in that way. And so before I left the job, I was like, Hey Seth, I'd love to have like an ex interview where you could tell me, you know, what I could do better. And right. And he just sort of laughed. He's like, okay, you just want to go talk. And I was like, sure. But like, let's structure it as an ex interview so I can take notes. And, and so we went in the back room and, you know, we chatted about the job and he said, you know, the only thing that you're, you have to prove to yourself now that the last piece is can you sell? Because if you can't sell, you're not an entrepreneur and you can't run the kind of business you want to run. So, you know, this is going to be the moment of truth for you because I, I didn't sell anything at Domino. And um, and so starting my business, I heard that voice in my head say, you know, if you can't sell, you're out of business. And I told myself when I started the company, I had three months to close my first deal. Now, I'm big on deadlines. I think deadlines are important to success and really keep you on track and allow you to sort of go all the way and to, to be as free as you can because you know you're not going to be screwed in the long run if you have that deadline. So I told myself, three months, one contract. Three months, one contract. I worked so hard because I was so afraid I wouldn't sell that I closed three deals in one month. Hmm. And the moment of pride came when I wrote my first proposal. I sent the proposal. We had revisions. It was signed. That check came. I looked at it and I said, Oh my God, you just sold, I mean, you just sold something. You created something, you pitched something, you sold it, you made money off of it. And that was a huge turning point in my story as an entrepreneur, my story as an adult, as a, as a man, to be able to know that, you know, I actually have the power to go out and to create something and to sell it. That's powerful stuff. And so that's a moment that sticks with me. I love hearing stories like like yours because in every entrepreneur's career, there's that first time that they make mm. you know money and they they surprise themselves because everyone on the call should know entrepreneurs didn't weren't born you know risk averse and and confident and all knowing you know we had to try and test and be vulnerable and you know um, hold our breaths and. And you got to go there and, and really uh, put yourself on a limb. Yeah. And, and something I want to make really clear for people who are listening, a lot of people think, like you said, that entrepreneurs are um, born sort of knowing the business and knowing how to conduct themselves. And, and maybe they go to school for it. You know, I went to college. I graduated college. My degree is in musical 
theater. Okay, it could no. Please laugh. I'll get your credibility back later. Musical theater. So I have absolutely no reason to think that a I could be in business. And B, I could be a thought leader in the business space. I did not go to school for it. I did not think I would ever do this. It was after a huge career breakdown in 2004 that I was able to do this. Um, and so for people who are sitting there and listening and thinking, gosh, I don't have the background, nobody had less of a background than I did. So that's something to, to motivate you as you move forward. What uh, was your favorite role? Oh, in, gosh. In, you know, your, yeah. <laughs> my favorite role was um, when I when I first moved to New York, maybe a year after, I did this show, which is supposed to be on Broadway this year, but they say that almost every year. It's a show called Nerds. It's about um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And that was a really fun show. Oh, wow. That is was that... foreshadowing the, the business I would be, I would yeah. be in later. Um, but that was a lot of fun, and it was a great cast. And um, But, you know, honestly, my heart at that point was sort of out of it. And so um, – uh, you know, I'd be backstage thinking about what I was going to do next. Yeah. No wonder you had so many jobs, you know, yeah. in college. You were you were preparing yourself for a life of acting, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to be fair, the acting training for a business person, it, it, there actually may not be any better training. Mm-hmm. I mean, to learn how to play a scene, to learn how to deal with rejection, to learn how to sort of morph into a character in order to achieve an objective. I mean, these are all <laughs> crucial things for entrepreneurs. Yes. Okay, Michael, let's talk about habits. Uh, as you know, you know, in, 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 to be successful at anything, you need to develop a set of habits um, and work hard at those habits. In terms of your finances, what's a financial fix that you have, a, a, a behavior, a, a step that's consistent that helps you keep your money where it needs to be? Ooh, a financial habit. I mean, I guess the closest thing I could say to a financial habit is that I am – very um, diligent at looking at where my money's going at all times. So like many people, I have, you know, auto pay and things are coming out of my gym and my Netflix and my this and my that. And I actually have a fair amount of credit cards. Most of them don't have any spend on them. I probably have, oh gosh, eight, nine credit cards, um, two of which I use uh, as like my my primary cards, one for business, one for personal. Um, but I have a lot of different cards. And so I'm very diligent about making sure that those accounts are looked over and that money's going in and going out. And I just try not to make money a mystery because that is something that I did for many years. And I'm not perfect, to be frank, I'm, I, at times, especially if there's not enough coming in and I'm nervous, money, I keep money a mystery. But when I get when I get nervous, like many people, when it comes to money, the first thing they do is they plug their ears and they go, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I'll deal with this later. To me, when I start to feel that way, that's the first sign that I have to deal with there right now because Ugh. that is the that that feeling inside of me is it means that something's wrong. I'm like you when I have a financial issue on my mind, I cannot do anything else because um you know, I just I want to feel like I'm I feel like if the answer is out there, I want to get that answer. I don't want to yeah. look back on a decision and go with regret and say, "Oh, you know, there was I should have asked this question or I should have read I should pay more attention to the fine print because the shouldas in our financial life are are very expensive. They end yeah. up being very expensive, and you can prevent these things if you just be a little more, um, you know, just more aggressive, I guess, and more conscious of of where your money's going and how your money's going to get doled out. No, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of fear. I think that's the thing is a lot of people are afraid to look 
really hard at their finances because that means they have to make some big decisions. But the cure for that fear is always knowledge and always knowing yeah. everything that's going on with your money, with your life, with your business. So many people turn a blind eye because they feel like they can't handle it. That's the moment when you have to step up and you have to take that responsibility even more than you already do. All right. We are almost done. And uh, you've been such a fun guest. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah. This is the part of the show. We round it out with uh, some fun kind of fill in the blanks where I start you off with a sentence and I encourage you to finish it with the first thing that comes to your mind. So without further ado, if I won the lottery tomorrow, say $100 million, I would... Buy an awesome apartment in Tribeca. Tribeca, yeah. It's so Tribeca. beautiful. Yeah. What I love about Tribeca is the sidewalks are so wide. Yeah. You, you can, like in New York, you know, it's so crowded. Like something is like almost, you know, seemingly innocuous is like large sidewalks. But to like a New Yorker, it, it really. It's know, a big deal. And I want a floor. Shoulders. I want a floor of a building. That's what I, Ooh. not just an apartment. I want a floor. You want the of... elevator to be your floor. Like yes. open up into your floor. That yeah. is what I want. <laughs> Well, I, I look forward to the housewarming. Uh, yeah, I'll invite you definitely when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The one thing that I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is? <laughs> Dropping off my laundry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, a very New Yorkism. I will never, I'll never do my own laundry when I live in New York. Now, and I, you know, I'm, from, I'm from the South, and so if I told anyone back home that I did that, they'd make fun of me. But in New York, I don't think people understand how important the laundry drop-off really is. Yeah, and getting it is so Oh, nice. my gosh. They fold it, like, perfectly. Yeah, oh, it's perfectly folded. It's, and the la- actually, there's a laundry, like, two doors down from my building. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot on, and, you know, aside from your laundry, a guilty pleasure that you kind of, like – don't necessarily like to reveal that you spend a lot of money on, but you do. Bar tabs. Mm. Bar tabs. You know, a lot of my, my work, I would say food and drink in general. Um, I am pretty um, conscientious about what I eat. And I'm, you know, I, I used to be almost 100 pounds bigger than I am now. And so no way. eating, yeah, yeah. So eating healthy and being really focused on, on the kind of food and the quality of food that I get is important. But I don't even look at that as an extravagance. I look at that as just a cost of my life. Um, but I would say an extravagance is probably bar tabs only because, A, I like to go out to nice places, but also a lot of my work and a lot of the prospecting in my work is, especially in New York City, it's very social and it's very much about that environment. And so um, I spend a good amount of money on, uh, on bars. What's your go-to drink? Oh, gosh. My go-to would probably be an old-fashioned, but um, a lot of wine. I actually, when I when I first sort of started in the work that I do, I go out a lot, and so I would find myself every night drinking, and that just is a not healthy and b not a habit I wanted to get into, and so or at least drinking hard alcohol. And so I I try to keep a rule where I only drink wine during the weekdays, and I'll drink other things on the weekends. Um, and so these days I go to a lot of wine bars. Uh, but if I'm if I'm with somebody who's drinking other alcohol, sometimes I'll partake. Yeah, I'm really into Moscow Mules these days. Ooh, those are good. I love gin. It's Oprah's favorite drink, but that's not why. I like <laughs> you get a car. <laughs> Everybody gets a Moscow Mule kit. A Moscow Mule. Look under your chairs. It's a Moscow <laughs> Mule. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is. Oh. Um. That's a really good question. Um, investing. I'm not great at investing. I don't have money invested really at all. It's something that I don't know a lot about. Um, 
outside of just from a theoretical and from a philosophical point of view, I'm not an active investor and I probably should be. Do you have a retirement fund? Yeah, I have a retirement. I have like the basic stuff, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking like in the stock market. Yeah. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because... Organizations that work with children, because that is my soft spot. I'm a big brother, big brothers and big sisters. I'm really, I try to be as active as I can in that environment. I, um, I think if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I'd, I'd work with children. And I'm so money because <laughs> I have stamina. <laughs> nice. I, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of stamina. You know, some guests don't understand that question or that statement. Like, what does it mean? What's so money? What? I'm like, yeah. you're on the so money show. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I'm all about the long game. I think that when you play the short game, I think short games are for suckers. And I've never been very interested in those short games. So, you know, something that I've worked very hard towards is some not just building a career that lasts for five years, but building something that's truly lasting and truly sustainable. And, and to do that requires a hefty dose of stamina. Well, we appreciate your time on the show. I learned so much from you. Always fun to engage. And uh, best of luck to you in the new year. I know that um, if we ever want to find you, we might turn on CNBC and see you on there talking the talk about business and millennials and entrepreneurship. And congratulations on, again, on the success of Shark Tank, Jumpstart Your Business. I know you're working on another book, uh, which is in the works in the mom- at the moment. And um, tell us where else we can find you. Yeah, you can find me, of course, on Twitter. My handle is at NotoriousMPD, like Notorious B-I-G, of course. Um, or you can find me on my site, and that is a simple URL, mpdhq, so mpdheadquartershq.com. Fantastic. We'll be looking out for you, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks again for having me. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Michael, visit his website at mpdhq.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at NotoriousMPD. I love that. We have all the links for where to find Michael, of course, at SoMoneyPodcast.com. And there also you'll find the transcript and comments from this interview. And I want to hear from you. Don't forget, send me your questions. Go to SoMoneyPodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. And ask away. I'm going to keep repeating this until you're going to be hearing this in your sleep and you're literally going to be going and waking up in the middle of the night and asking me a question because that's when we have our thoughts, right? That's when we start thinking about life and money and career and we can't sleep. So we go on somoneypodcast.com and we send Farnoosh a question. And you know what? The following weekend or the weekend after, she'll probably answer it. Um, And if you've already asked me a question, ask another one. I'm sure you got another one in you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Gosh, I love doing this podcast. Hope your day is so money. Money.